And could you please turn with me to uh, 1 Peter? 1 Peter on page 857. The Church Bibles, page 857, beginning our series on 1 Peter. And on your way in, you would have been given a uh, outline of uh, of the uh, uh, our meeting today. And on the inside of that, there's an outline of the sermon. Uh, so that shows where we're up to. Some people like to take notes to keep themselves awake. Um, if you'd like to do that, please go ahead. If not, that's just too helpful to, to have that open in front of you so that uh, you know where we are. And very helpful to have one Peter open in front of you as well. The end of one year and the beginning of another is traditionally the time to make resolutions. Uh, Before we decide what we do, however, we must first work out who we are. Uh, Because our identity determines our behavior. Who we are affects how we think and how we act. There's a story about Queen Victoria. I don't know whether it's true. Uh, I have it confirmed from two sources, but they're both on the internet, so I don't know if it's true. But anyway, uh, apparently when she was 10 or 11 years old, old, she was very naughty. But then she was told who she was, the future Queen of England. In that case, she said, I will be good. See, as we prepare to enter a new year, it's appropriate to remember who the Bible says that we are that we really are, so that we can live lives that reflect that. And we're doing that this morning by looking at the first two verses of 1 Peter. Uh, But since we're starting this new series on 1 Peter, let me just introduce you to the book first, uh, before we look at those verses in detail. The book is written by the Apostle Peter. Now we know this because it says so in the very first verse, it says, Peter, an Apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the same Peter which we read about in the Gospels. Uh, the Peter who was a fisherman uh, before he was called by Jesus to follow him. Uh, this is the Peter who denied Christ uh, but later was forgiven. Uh, it was a Peter who stood up for the day of Pentecost and, and proclaimed the gospel. It was Peter who stood up to the authorities later and refused to stop proclaiming the gospel. That's the Peter we're talking about. And this Peter tells us here in verse 1 that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, an apostle means a sent one. Uh, So an apostle of Jesus Christ is someone who is sent by Jesus Christ. He's someone who is personally appointed by Jesus, a witness of of the resurrection of Jesus. The risen Jesus had appeared to him and appointed him as an apostle. Sent him to do a task. And so Peter carries the authority of Jesus Christ because Jesus sent him. He is his personal apostle. And so when he writes this letter, he does so on behalf of Jesus. He carries the authority of Jesus. But he doesn't write it by himself. Uh, He was helped to write this letter by a guy called Silas or Silvanus. If you go to chapter 5 verse 12, you see that. Uh, Chapter 5 verse 12 he says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Now just notice incidentally that he wrote five chapters and he says I wrote to you briefly. All right. So if you think my sermons are too long, you know, take heart. They're really quite brief, like, like Peter's letter. Yeah. Uh, we're not sure 
this uh, Silas, uh, how he helped him, uh, whether he was like a secretary who took dictation, uh, or whether he drafted the letter and then Peter signed it, so to speak, uh, or he is just a messenger who was given the letter and to, to take around to all these different churches. Right, but it doesn't matter, because what we know is that it comes with Peter's apostolic authority. And somehow or other, Silas helped him along the way. It seems likely that Peter is writing this letter from Rome. Because uh, he says in verse 13 of chapter 5, he says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Now Babylon, uh, you may know from Israel's history, uh, was a center of worldly power and opposition to God in the Old Testament. It was the capital of the empire. And the same was true of Rome in the first century. And so Babylon here is probably a euphemism for Rome. And it seems that Peter was there, which fits well with what some of our early church historians tell us. Like there's a guy called Eusebius who writes in 325 AD, uh, who says that Peter was at Rome at the end of his life. And so it kind of fits well with that. He's probably at Rome. Peter's probably writing in the early 60s of the first century. Uh, that's about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter was executed by uh, Emperor Nero in Rome in AD 64. Uh, he probably came to Rome after AD 62, uh, because Paul left in about AD 62, and we've got a number of Paul's letters from there, and they don't mention him at all. So we think his letters from Rome must have been written AD 62 to 64, around that time. And, so the, peop and the people that he's writing to, well, you can see from uh, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, that the Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, right, uh, they're all, all those places are in what we modern-day Turkey, uh, up in, that, up in that, 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 that right-hand corner of the map up there. So modern day, places part of, part of modern-day Turkey. And as we shall see over the next few weeks, uh, he is writing to a people who are going through a hard time because of their faith. Uh, it's not like there's this big ban on Christianity at Rome at the time. Right? It's not every, all the Christians are being killed. It's not like, you know... 100% outright full-blown persecution. Uh, it wasn't illegal to be a Christian. Uh, but from the contents of the letter, you can see that Christians are suffering in some way. Uh, it's a big theme in the letter, suffering. Uh, and it must have been a big theme in the lives of the people that Peter was writing to. Maybe there was some local persecution, uh, not an empire-wide thing at that stage, but maybe you know, little things from the city authorities or something like that. Uh, Although, when actually, when actually read the letter, when Peter talks specifically about the suffering, the things he actually mentions are more informal, like discrimination and verbal abuse from other people, like you know, former colleagues or friends or family members, or in the case of slaves, mistreatment by their owners. And he talks to Christians about how to deal with that. So, the persecution here seems to be a little bit more unofficial. Uh, although things were hotting up at the time, as it were, uh, and it may well be that Peter was seeing the writing of the wall of a persecution that was coming uh, and preparing people for that more active persecution by the authorities. Now, Peter opens his letter by describing those people whom he was writing to. We've seen already that they are scattered, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Uh, that tells us where they live. But far more importantly, Peter tells us who they are. He reminds them of their identity. And that's important for us this morning because their identity is our identity. 
And so the main thing that we're doing today, in light of this passage, is thinking about who we are in light of what Peter has written. Now, who we are is defined in relation to the people that we're relating to. In relation to uh, my daughters, I'm a father. Uh, In relation to Maxis, I'm a customer. Uh, In relation to, to many of you, I'm a pastor and friend. Our identity is in terms of relationships. In verse 1, Peter reminds his Christians about their identity in relation to two relationships. In relationship to God and in relationship to the world around them. They are, in verse 1, God's elect strangers in the world. In relationship with God, they are elect. In relationship to the world, they are strangers. And those two things go together. If they are elect of God, then they have to be strangers in the world. We'll see that in a moment. They are elect strangers. And so are we. What does it mean to be elect? Now, the word elect simply means chosen. Right? When you have elections, right? when you have an election, what do we do? We all go and vote, if we're registered. And we choose who is going to be our member of parliament, don't we? Right? When God elects, he chooses people for his own purposes. Uh, Israel of old, they were called people who were chosen of God. They were elect of God. Not because they were good or great, or beca- but, but because of God's love and his promises to their ancestors, who he chose anyway because of his love for them. They were chosen to be his people. So that through them, God could bring blessing to the rest of the world. Other word election, the Bible is also spoken, is used of Jesus. Jesus himself was the chosen one. The elect one, the one whom God had chosen, selected to be the king and saviour. Those who belong to Jesus, we too are considered the elect. We are the chosen ones. Chosen, as Paul says, to be before the foundation of the world. To be holy and blameless in God's sight. Chosen to belong to him. So as far as God is concerned, we are his chosen. Great privilege. But as far as the world is concerned... We are strangers. The word stranger uh, in verse 1 is is a word for foreigner. Someone who who lives in a land that's not his own. Someone who who lives in a place where he doesn't belong. In our NIV translation we read uh, strangers in the world, which I I think is right. I think that's what, what Peter actually means. But the way he writes it in Greek, it says strangers of the dispersion. Stranger of the dispersion. Uh, the word dispersion or diaspora means scattering. Uh, it was a term that was used to refer to the scattering of the Jews uh, among the nations in the first century. It was a really big scattering. Surprising. There were 7 million Jews in the Roman Empire. At the time, that means 15% of the Roman Empire were Jewish. And only 1 million of them lived in Palestine. Uh, the rest of them were scattered all over the area. They're like uh, the Chinese and Indians today are, are minorities in many countries, aren't they? Right? Uh, uh, just like the Jews were in, in all over the Mediterranean at that time. 
Right? There is a diaspora. The big difference between the Chinese and Indian diaspora and the Jewish diaspora is that the Chinese and Indian diaspora don't tend to look back so much to India and China. Right? Whereas the Jewish diaspora always look back uh, to Israel and to God's promises to them. Identity was still very much Jewish. People, uh, Peter calls the people he's writing to the elect of the diaspora. Which means either they were Christian Jews or he is speaking metaphorically about Christians being scattered around the world. Right? Now, some people, who, including those who I would consider my teachers, will actually take him literally. That is, they say, since Peter is the apostle to the Jews, he is writing to Jewish Christians who are living in these areas. Uh, now, he might well be. Uh, and certainly the, the arguments that are traditionally used to say that this, this book is only written to Gentiles, doesn't, I, I don't actually think holds water. But whether the audience is primarily Jewish or Gentile or a mixture, I think he's actually talking metaphorically here. That is, uh, the, the book seems to pick up uh, the, uh, the, those, kind of, those themes in a metaphorical way. That is, just as the Jews were scattered throughout the Mediterranean, were dispersed in the diaspora around the Mediterranean, we who are in Christ are scattered throughout the world. We are strangers in the world. We, we, we do not belong here, and yet we live here. We are the, the Christian diaspora. The citizens of heaven scattered around the earth. Strangers in a foreign land. Now, many of us know what it's like, know what it's like to live in a foreign country. Uh, some of you here might be doing that right now. Uh, you may be expat workers or students or visitors. Um, or some of you may have been international students overseas and, and now you've come home. And all of us know people who are in that situation, don't we? When you're, in a f- when you're a foreigner in a country, it's different from being a local. Your identity is different. You, you think of yourself as being a, a Malaysian in the UK or a, a Nigerian in Malaysia. Right? Not as being a local. That's how the locals see you as well. Your identity is that of a foreigner. You may be a very welcome foreigner, but you're a foreigner. And you operate in a different way than you would if you were a local. Whether you like the people in the place, or whether you loathe them, you know that you're not really, heart of hearts, one of them. If you have children, you will try to teach them the language of home and the customs of home. Because you know that eventually you're going back there. Friends, if we are elect of God, then then we are strangers in the world. It's because we are elect that we don't belong here. We've been chosen for something better. We are all expat Christians. International students of Jesus. Foreign workers on this earth. We don't belong here permanently. We've been chosen to be with God forever. We belong with Him. Our home, our identity, it's bound up with Him. Our permanent place of abode is with Him. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we're not the same as everyone else around us, and neither should we be. We have different goals, different priorities, different values, different standards, different relationships, different ways of thinking. And to other people, we are strange. 
Peter will later say that people will think it's strange we don't join them in things that we know are wrong and, and will abuse us for it. It's, as far as the world goes, we are strangers. As far as God goes, we are elect. So who are we according to Peter? What's our identity? We are elect strangers. Elect strangers. Now there are three things about being elect strangers that Peter points to in verse 2. Firstly, we have the reason why we are elect strangers. And here Peter goes right back to the root cause of it all. He says, our election was according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. When the Bible talks, uses the word foreknowledge, when the Bible talks about the word know, it's not just saying that God, you know, kind of like intellectually knew something before it happened. Right? No, no. It's saying that God decided beforehand that it should happen. His knowing is, is, is a loving and a choosing knowing. Right? The reason we are chosen is because God the Father knew us, He loved us, He chose us even before we were born. See, friends, if you're a Christian, out of all the people in the world, God chose you. And He chose me. Not because we're any better than anyone else, because we're not. Not because we're any smarter, because we're not. Not because we're any more righteous, because we're not. Election is certainly no grounds for pride. In fact, it's nothing to do with us. And it's all to do with Him. See, when we come to faith in Jesus, we think that we're choosing Him, don't we? And in a sense, that's right. right? We choose and we're responsible for our choice. But the fact of the matter is that we only choose Him because God Himself has, prior to that, chosen us. So that everything about our standing with God even the fact that we have faith, that, that is a gift from Him. And all that we can say is, thank you. And seek to live our lives to His glory. See, if we belong to God, it's because He's chosen us. He's known us beforehand. Now, that gives us enormous comfort and confidence, doesn't it? Because if God has chosen us, then, then we are secure. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If God has chosen us, then we are loved. We can't make God's love us more. He, he loved us and chose us even before we loved Him. Before we did anything. If God has chosen us, that gives us enormous incentive to respond in, in love and service to Him. So I can't for the life of me imagine why God would choose me. What does He see in me that would make Him want to choose me to... Well, the answer must be nothing. Simply grace. God's kindness, His mercy extended to me. Because I'm a sinner. No better than any other sinner. But He's chosen me anyway. And it's a deliberate choice, not a lottery. And all I can do is thank Him. And live my life to thank Him for His grace. See, brothers and sisters, if God has chosen us for salvation, then from beginning to end, all of it is from God's mercy. It hasn't come from us. 
And so on the last day, it will be God, not us, who gets all the glory for our redemption. As indeed he should. The reason that we are elect strangers is firstly because we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Secondly, the way we became elect strangers. And the emphasis here is on the strangers part of the equation. Right? Given our election in the foreknowledge of God, how do we become elect strangers? Well, the answer in verse 2 is through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sanctifying work of the Spirit. The word sanctify means to make holy. Right? To make holy. Right? We'd use the word holify, right? but there's no such word in English. So we use sanctify. Right? Sanctify means make holy. What it's saying is we have been made holy by the Spirit of God. What does holy mean? Holy means being set apart for God, doesn't it? God is holy. Now he's completely different from anything and everyone else, far above everything. And so everything that is set apart exclusively for God's use is called holy as well. And so in the Old Testament times, there were things that were called holy things. The items in the temple were holy. Uh, the, the priests were holy. The sacrifices were holy. Because they were set apart exclusively for God. And so they were different for everything else. Uh, but now in the New Testament times, there aren't holy places anymore. Jesus himself is the holy place. He's the place where we meet God. There's not holy things. Those things were in the temple. Jesus is our temple. So there's no holy objects. But there are holy people. And these holy people are not just priests or missionaries or people who work for the church or something like that. Holy people are those who have been chosen to belong to Jesus. Those who are His. Those who are elect. Those who believe and trust in Him. See, brothers and sisters, we are strange. We are different from the rest of the world because the Spirit has set us apart from the rest of the world. We have people who have been consecrated. We have been made holy. We have been sanctified by the Spirit of God. Like the items in the temple, we belong exclusively to Him. Sure, we live in the world, but we don't belong in the world. And the fact that most of us have normal jobs doesn't in any way preclude us from being fully dedicated to Him, whether it be in church on Sunday or in the workplace or in the home on Monday. God the Holy Spirit has marked us out as different. We're set apart for God, consecrated for Him by the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, we are His. Made holy, set apart, different for His purposes. That's our identity. We have been made strangers in the world through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The third thing we have in verse 2 is the uh, purpose of our election as strangers. Why did God choose us to have this new identity? Well, the end of verse 2 tells us, For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. 
There's two, two, two things there, isn't it? The first one is obedience. See, brothers and sisters, obedience, that is the practical outworking of our holy identity. We've seen that we're holy, set apart by God's Spirit, and the reason that we're set apart is so that we would be God's obedient people. So, if we are holy, if we are, we are set apart for God, then that's how we must behave. We must act differently from those around us because we are different from those around us. We live as strangers because we are strange. We are chosen so that we would have a different lifestyle. We're chosen for obedience. Set apart by the Spirit so that we would belong exclusively to Him. At home, at work, in church, or in the world. We are His. And so we know we can't speak in ungodly ways and we can't do immoral things because we are holy. We can't take what is holy and use it for evil purposes. That would be terrible sacrilege, wouldn't it? We can't live as our sinful nature would want us to live because we have been chosen to be obedient. The whole point of our election is for obedience. How can we possibly turn away from that and rebel again? It's... No, no. We must take what is holy, ourselves, and use it for God's service. We obey because that's what we're chosen for. We live for the glory of God. Live for obedience to Jesus. And we're going to see over the next few weeks all kinds of practical ways this works out in 1 Peter. But let me warn you, the people in the world will see this as strange. The second thing that we're set apart for in verse 2 is sprinkling by the blood of Jesus. Sprinkling by the blood of Jesus. Remember um, in our Old Testament reading today when God confirms his covenant with, with Israel back at Mount Sinai and the people say we will obey God and Moses sprinkles them with blood. Friends, God has chosen us to be his people. And we said, yes, we will obey. We will trust in Jesus as Lord. And we have been sprinkled. Not with the blood of bulls, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are covered by his sacrificial death on the cross. His death that started the new covenant. It was his death that opened the way up for us to be God's people. We could be in that covenant with him. Because it was his death that took away our sins. Because he took them on the cross for us. It was through his death that, that we were made clean from all our wickedness. Through his blood applied to us. And we were chosen, set apart from the rest of the world, to be the beneficiaries of his death. To be God's covenant people, bought with the price of his own blood. To be free from the penalty of sin. To be released from the guilt of sin. To to be cleansed from the filth of sin. To know that we can stand before God completely forgiven, perfectly accepted, and totally clean. Not by our goodness, but by the precious blood of Jesus shed on our behalf. God chose us to be his people, to be sprinkled with his blood. And so, brothers and sisters... We have a strange identity, don't we? 
chosen by God, known by Him, loved by Him, from before the foundation of the world, chosen to be holy, to be set apart for His purposes, chosen to be obedient to the gospel, to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. But this election, this choosing, this identity, leaves us strangers in the world, foreigners in the place we were born. That's our identity. And this new year, let's embrace it and think and live as elect strangers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, loving us and choosing us from um, before the foundation of the world to be yours. Um, we don't understand why. Um, we don't understand how. It's a great mystery to us, and yet uh, we know that it's entirely in your grace and your kindness, and we thank you. We know we don't deserve it. Um, we thank you that you've, that you've chosen us in your foreknowledge, uh, that you've set us apart, and by your spirit to be holy, uh, to be yours, and you've set us apart for obedience to you and, and sprinkling with the blood of our Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We know that, yeah, that all we can do is thank you. Uh, and help us, Father, we pray, to, to really be aware of this identity, uh, to know who we are in Christ, elect strangers, um, and not be surprised. Um, when people think we are strange um, but to have our confidence and our, our identity and our security and our significance uh, from that relationship with you and we pray this in Jesus name Amen